0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.
1: Jesus shows up and he asks a pretty rude question. Have you caught any fish? Now, being omniscient, he knows they haven't caught any fish. Now, what you miss though, is at that point, Jesus recreates the exact, exact replica of what happened in Luke 5 when Jesus originally called Peter. Put the nets on the right side of the boat. It's if you catch any fish. Today. Today. Today.
0: Today with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. So far in this series titled The Year of Re, we've explored topics of reawakening, revival, restoration, and renewal. Today we start Pastor Jeff's message on recommitment. My name is Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. and we're going to be looking at John chapter 21, a passage where Peter goes back to his old career fishing. Jesus goes to Peter and asks, do you love me? It's a powerful passage about recommitment. Let's join Pastor Jeff as he digs into Jesus' message here and our commitment to him.
1: I don't want to leave this series of revival until I have a real personal one-on-one talk. We want revival. We've said that. We want to experience God like we've never experienced him before. And we said that you can't work up revival. You know, I, I wish it was, I wish we could do some kind of dance and suddenly, you know, like praying for rain, God shows up and revival comes, but it doesn't work like that. Revival only comes, and we've defined revival as seeing things we haven't seen before, feeling things that we haven't felt in a long, long time, and being able to do things that we never thought we could do. Revival is when you just, just God shows up. Now, God is always here, but it's when, it's when you don't have to ask people to come to the house of the Lord. They're afraid to miss it because God keeps showing up and doing fantastic, wonderful things, It's when people rejoice and they're celebrating on their way to the house of the Lord. And I don't want to leave this series until I go back to what is my favorite passage. Now, I I know I say that this is, you know, this is one of my favorite passages. Oh, every time I preach, this is one of my favorite passages. Well, the whole Bible is my favorite passage. But if honestly, now, if you were ever to ask me what passage in the Bible is my favorite, I know which one it would be. It would be John chapter 21. I've, I've spoken on John 21 numerous times. i just spoke at LPU a few weeks ago in chapel because I see my own life and my own struggles in, the, in Peter when Jesus comes to restore him. So where are you in your life at this point? You know, what is life filled with? I mean, you know, you talk about a wedding. A wedding is a beautiful thing, right? The older you get, the more weddings you go to. You get cynical though, don't you? You know, I wonder how long they're going to last, right? Or boy, they have no idea what they're about to face. It's beautiful and wonderful and it is, but is it? Doesn't the wedding illustrate life better than any other celebration we have in humanity? Because you've got the hope of everything that's going to happen, the great experiences, the ecstasy of marriage and relationship and community, but you've also got this other side. There's going to be times you may want to kill the other person. And if you tell somebody that when they're getting married, they think, oh, that's not me. I'm special. There's going to be times when you just like to grab. The, nah, I'm, look, I'm not saying literally. Metaphorically, you would just like to say, hey, you know? What's going on here? Why can't you get me? Why can't you understand me? Why are you causing so much pain in my life? And so isn't that life though? Don't you have a lot of wonderful experiences in your life with your kids and grandkids and your families and chocolate, ice cream and coffee (laughs) and traveling? And I mean, Robin and I and Sion went to Armenia this year and I'd never been to Armenia. I absolutely loved it to See another part of the world and the culture and the people, but there's also underneath all of us. Isn't there a lot of worry and doubt and concern, even in pastors? I mean, don't you don't aren't you afraid for your children and your grandchildren? Don't you worry sometimes that life may not turn out the way you think it should today or tomorrow? Don't you don't you don't you worry about your the people that you love? And don't you have a right to some degree to be concerned? You know. I can go just about anywhere, but the place that I find most difficult to go is a children's cancer hospital. I don't do well. I do it. It's just—it's too painful to know what the kids are going through, what the parents. So you see, you—you've got this juxtaposition of life. All of these times of joy, but all of this other—all of these other things—and it's—it's constant. And then you've got the struggle of what you're trying to. You're trying to find your place in the world. You're trying to make your mark in the corporate world. You're trying just to find your meaning and significance. This is life, isn't it? It's a battle on one hand. We're all trying to find out purpose, meaning, whatever it is. On the other hand, it's so enjoyable. There's so many things you love, you enjoy, you look forward to getting up in the morning. And yet there's this other side that you don't know what's gonna hit you next. That is life. But not really. Because in the midst of all that, is where you find the meaning of your existence. And what is it? What, what is the only thing? What is the hope of this world? What is the hope of your life? What, what, what's the only thing that's gonna sustain you through all of this? What, what is the thing that if you have it, you can have the overarching joy in life even though you have that peripheral sorrow? And the only, and the only thing that you need truly is Jesus. If you, listen, if you really and truly have him, now listen, Not correct doctrine about Jesus. Not perfect attendance at church. Not serving in Sunday school. Not giving food to God's pantry. No, no. The only thing that will sustain you is an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you, it's been my experience that far too many people who sit in church don't even know what that is. They don't know what it is. It's too foreign to them. So in John 21, Peter thought he knew what it was. And just when Jesus needed him most, he did not even do it. Now, I know this passage so well. I've got my Bible here, but I don't really need it because I know th- this is my favorite passage. I'm not even going to put the words on the screen. You're going to have to, I'm going to tell you the story or you can read it on your phone, whatever. But this is an amazing passage because in a, it's an addendum to the book of John. It really has no other purpose in the gospels other than to answer one question. Matthew doesn't do it, Mark doesn't do it, or Luke. Neither Matthew, Mark, or Luke do it, but John does. And it answers one question. Every, every other gospel ends with the resurrection and the appearance, but not John. John adds a little addendum to the book to answer one question, whatever happened to Peter? What happened to Peter? Peter. And so verse one, Jesus shows up. The disciples were told to wait by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. They're the same thing. In verses two and three, you learn that all the disciples are present. Peter's listed first. He's always listed first because he's the leader. And suddenly out of the blue, disobeying a direct order of Jesus himself, Peter says, He looks at the other disciples and he says, I'm going to go fishing. Now, the way it's written in the original language, he's not simply saying, I am going to go fishing today. He's basically saying this I'm going to go back to my old profession of fishing. Now, you think about it from his standpoint. I've been a lousy disciple. You know, I said, Though all these other disciples leave you, I will never leave you. And there I left him. I speak all the time before I think. I've been a bust as a disciple. I'm going back to my old occupation of fishing. And he does. And look at the text. He does go back to his old occupation. And the Bible tells us they fish all night and they what? Catch nothing. Then the Bible tells us as you make your way down to verse 5, 6, and 7, that Jesus shows up and he asks a pretty rude question. Have you caught any fish? Now, being omniscient, he knows they haven't caught any fish. Now, what you miss, though, is at that point, Jesus recreates the exact, exact replica of what happened in Luke 5 when Jesus originally called Peter, put the nets on the right side of the boat, and see if you catch any fish. Does Jesus think the boat stands in one place, (laughs) right? He goes round and round. He did the same thing to Peter when they would caught nothing and they'd fished all night in Luke chapter 5, I believe, around verse 11. And he pulls it out, there's all kind of fish. And suddenly, for some reason, Peter now recognizes it's Jesus and he runs as fast as he can. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, the Bible says he's about 100 yards from the shore. He had taken his cloak off, which is outer garment off because evidently it was warm. He puts it on and he can't wait for the other disciples. They're just rowing the boat back to shore, but he gets out of the boat like Peter would and he runs to the shore. But notice, as you read through the text, when he gets to shore, he doesn't say anything. But we are told that when he gets to the shore, he smells a fire of coals. And evidently, Jesus is about to cook breakfast for the disciples. The only other time we see that Greek phrase, fire of coals, is when Peter is warming his hands after he denies he knows Jesus. What happened to Peter? I'm, I'm just guessing here. Did Peter run to the shore and think, oh, man, it's Jesus. Then he smelled that. and Whoop, That brought back memories. Smell brings back memories, doesn't it? And suddenly, man, oh boy, I can't, wait a minute. What am I doing? He gets silent. By the way, there are some disadvantages to not smelling that I am now finding out now that I'm smelling again. In some ways, it was better not to smell. (laughs) He smells, and then he gets quiet. The disciples come to shore. They count their fish. They number them. And then verse 15 Jesus comes over to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, you see, this is what I'm after. This is what we're after. This is what I'm trying to say. And maybe I do it in a a kind of stumbling way, but this is it right here. For all of my life, I grew up in this legalistic type church. And I would go back and forth, God, what do you want from me? I can't measure up. I can't do this, but I want to do this. I have these feelings. I have these emotions, but I fail. I blow it. I mean, the older you get, the more you realize how bad you really are, don't you? It's true. But the older you get, the more you also fall in love with Jesus. Because the worse you are, the more you realize how much grace you get every day. Jesus goes up to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Look at, look at the text. Do you love me more than these? Well, who are the these? Do you love me more? you think Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these other disciples? You said you would never, even though they would leave me, you never would. And you left. You bolted when it got tough. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the Greek word agapao, which is the highest form. It's the loftiest form of love. It's unconditional love. You remember the four words? Remember we talked about how Greek is so precise? So you've got eros, which is an erotic love. You've got storge, parental love. You've got phileo, which is friendship love. And you've got agapao, which is unconditional love. Jesus uses the word agapao. Do you love me unconditionally? And do you know what Peter replies? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's what you see in your text, but the Greek word he uses is phileo. Because he knows he can't claim the loftiest love because if he had unconditional love, he wouldn't have bolted when Jesus needed him. You don't see that in your English text. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, I, Lord, I, basically here's what Peter says. Jesus, you know you and I are mates. We're friends. That's what phileo means. Jesus, in, in a way of saying, that's not what I ask you a second time. So he's not asking the same question. It's a different question. Peter yeah. Let me ask you again. Do you love me? Agapao. Unconditional love. And again, do you know what Peter does? He uses phileo. Yes, Lord, you know, like I said, you know, you, know I, I, you and I are, I like you a lot. We're friends. Now, both times after Peter used his own word, Jesus came back and said, what? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend to my lambs. There's another progression that I'll get to in a moment. And the third time Jesus uses Peter's own word, again, you don't see that in the text, but this time Jesus says, Peter, do you even phileo? Are we even friends? And at this, the Bible says Peter was grieved. The word uh, is a word that means, it's it's a tough word because it can be anger or sadness or both. So whatever happened, Peter's both sad and he's angry, whoa, 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 and he says, wait, you know all things. Now that's a claim to omniscience. Jesus, you know, don't look at my actions, look into my heart. And you know, if you look into my heart, Jesus, you know all things, you'll know that I do like you. And Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. By the way, the three, the the different forms of feed my sheep, some scholars believe it's the calling Peter's going to receive after this. You've got young sheep, adolescent sheep, and then old sheep. So in one fell swoop, Peter gets his calling, take care of new converts, take care of those who are growing in their faith, and then take care of those who are elders in the church, and Peter does exactly that. But here's the point I'm making. What Jesus wants from us is for us to fall in love with him. That's what he wants. He could have done anything he wanted with Peter. He could have said anything he wanted, but he asked Peter this first and simple question, do you love me? Because Jesus knows that when you fall in love with something and you really love it, when he gets your heart, all these other things fall into place. That's why I've tried to avoid during revival of saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. No, those are all byproducts of falling in love with Jesus. That instead of browbeating brow beating you with, you should be doing this, and you should be doing that, and you should be doing that. Rather than doing that, which gets nowhere, keep giving you Jesus. Because when you fall in love with him, these other things will take place. And can I be honest with you? The problem is you're not in love with Jesus. If when you hear somebody talk about Giving and you, or getting into a group or reading your Bible or praying and you hear that and you just get all angry. Not in love with Jesus. But that's not a condemnation toward you, it's not. But at some point in your life, you've got to beg God to open your eyes because the truth of the gospel, when it goes down deep, you'll fall in love with them. And you have to admit that we're living in a culture right now We don't like to hear about judgment, but unless you understand judgment and things like hell, you can't understand gospel and things like grace. Until you understand that you really have no right standing before God other than what he gives to you. Until you understand that if there's no cross and there's no Christ, you and I will be separated from God for all of eternity. Until you really understand that. Until you understand how you've been rescued and saved by grace, you will not fall in love with Jesus. And and as long as you have a high value of yourself and your own goodness, you're not gonna fall in love with Jesus. Think about it. If you're really truly, if you are really truly living on this earth and you're a sinner separated from God, and when you die, you're gonna go into a place that is eternal separation from him. That is so bad that no one or words can really describe it, because where there is no God, there is no good. If you don't truly understand that, then there, how much gratitude is there gonna be the fact that God looked down and says, No, I'm gonna, this is not good enough. I'm gonna redeem you. I'm gonna save you. You're gonna live with me for eternity in a place that is too wonderful for anybody to describe. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. See, the problem is that's why religious people are the most in danger. You don't fall in love with Jesus because you're good. You don't really need him that much. Until you fall in love with him, until you understand the gospel. See, I can't make you love him. It's impossible. You need the Holy Spirit of God to open your eyes to what he's done for you. And not just to hear it in uh, theological terms, but to have that love understood to come deep into your heart. And when it does, then everything will change. It will. And that's when revival comes. After Jesus says that to Peter, by the way, just quickly, is love... Is love an act of the will or is it an emotion? Is it an act of the will or is it an emotion? And I think you err when you say it's one or the other because it's both. There's got to be an emotion, an emotional experience that you have toward Jesus. And, you know, I'll have some of these, you know, my golf buddies or basketball buddies in the past when I start, start talking down this road, they'll say, you know, we're men. We don't love things like that. We're not emotional like that. And I said, how'd you get married? You didn't fall in love with your wife emotionally? You didn't want to be around her all the time? You didn't want to talk to her all the time? And they said, no. I said, well, that's why you're not married anymore. (laughs) I've seen men at ball games. Don't tell me you can't get emotional. You can get emotional. It's emotional, but do you remember when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? You you know what he you know he doesn't mean hey if you break into my commandments that proves you don't love me no he's saying if you love me the bent of your heart is to obey me you see that hey I love Jesus I'm going to obey His commandments I may fail but that's the intent of my heart if you don't have that in your heart if 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 you just love to talk about how you're saved by grace through faith and it requires no effort there's something wrong the heart and the will should be bent. If you fall in love with Jesus and the Spirit of God and you're born again, then you've got this heart that is bent toward doing what God wants you to do so that when you come to a fork in the road and you've got to choose between good and evil, there's a real tension, there's a real struggle and you're trying your best to do the right thing. And if that's not there, there's something wrong. And you need to pray that God open your eyes to the power, the truth, and the love of the gospel so that things can change. You've got to fall in love and I can't make you do that. Only the Spirit of God can open your eyes to the depth and truth of the gospel to make you fall in love. When things changed for me, it was in theology class when I was 31 years old, the Doctrine of Grace, and the professor put a photo on the big screen, and the photo, I looked for it everywhere, couldn't find it, so I'm gonna have to describe it, was an overweight ballerina in a ballet class, desperately at the command of the instructor, trying to touch her toes. And she could not. But her effort was intense, trying so desperately. And then my theologi- uh, theological professor looked at us and said, now here's what that caption should read. When it comes to our life in Christ with God, the caption would read, that's okay, I'll take the will for the deed. I'll take the will or the deed, that means that you are gonna fall sometimes. What God is interested in is the will. Is the will right? Does it want to do the good? Does it strive to do the good? And here's the thing, it will not until it's in love with Jesus, until it's in love. Some of you don't need to pray to be better people. You need to pray that the Holy Spirit open your eyes to the love God has for you so that your heart is melted. And that you fall in love with him. Some of you have been religious for so long. Come on, on all of our ca- you've been religious for so long. You've been going through these motions, going through this game. Come on, be honest with yourself. Church means very, or it means something to you because you're here. But an on fire personal relationship that is felt where Jesus is walking with you day after day, where you seek him, where you, where you love him, where you pursue him, that's, that's why Jesus asked Peter the question because whatever it is that you love most is what you're gonna chase after the most, right? Once you love him, you're going to pursue him. Once you pursue him, he's going to reveal himself. Once he reveals himself, man, everything changes. Now, I want to tell you something scary. Well, first of all, the good news, God is very gracious and kind to us and patient, no doubt about that. But I really, I was, I was so steep and legalistic, a legalistic church that I think, I don't think I fell in love with Jesus until my mid-30s. And by that time, I've been preaching 10 years. The eyes are opened. And then Jesus looks to Peter, uh, verse 18, he says, good, basically, I'm glad you love me. And he says to Peter, every morning you get up, I'm going to paraphrase, every morning you get up and you put your cloak cloak on and you gird yourself, you take your belt, you tie it around and you go wherever you want to go. And then Jesus says, right after he's asked Peter, do you love me? (laughs) Right after that, he says, now I want to tell you something. The time is coming When somebody else is going to dress you, somebody else is going to put a belt around you, and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And then John adds this little comment. He says, Jesus said this to show him or to signify the type of death Peter would die that would glorify Jesus. So Jesus says, I'm glad you love me because here's the deal. Peter, are you willing to sacrifice everything for me, even your life?
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: So when he asks you, don't do that, you'll find a way to do it. When he asks you to give up your money, your time, your resources, and that's the beautiful thing about Christ. He says, look, I've given you all these things for your enjoyment. You've got so much, but there's a part of you I require and you're not gonna sacrifice. There's no way you're gonna give that up until you fall in love.
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing with every single red I bring. I will bring this up. You are my wonder. You bring the one. Today.
1: Today. Today.